Welcome to the Healing Place podcast, a space filled with inspirational stories of hope, along with practical advice for your healing journey. Your host is Terry Welbrock, trauma warrior, writer, speaker, blogger, therapy dog handler, and founder of the Sammy's Bundles of Hope Project. As a survivor and a thriver, Terry's mission is to shine the light of hope into the world by interviewing insightful guests from across the globe. Please stay tuned at the end of today's interview as we honor our sponsors. The Healing Place podcast is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Now, here's your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock. Back at it after a little bit of a a lull. I took a two-week break um, to move from Ohio to South Carolina, which some of you had knew about as I've talked about this. And also, I wanted to let all of you know that I just checked a few days ago, and the podcast has now been downloaded in 66 countries around the world, which makes my heart very, very happy. So today, I am really excited to introduce to you Jenna... Gosh, and I just said it, Remersma, right? Yes. Yay! <laughs> All right. <laughs> awesome. So I'm going to read uh, the bio that I have just because it's just amazing, and I'm so excited to have this conversation. So author, speaker, and therapist, uh, founder and clinical director of the Atlanta Center for Relational Healing, and teaching faculty for the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. So welcome, Jenna. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Terry. Yeah, me too. We were talking just a little bit beforehand of some of the things we're going to talk about. You have a book coming out or has come out. I think I saw you. We can order it now on Amazon, right? Correct. Okay. And that is Altogether You. So we'll talk a little bit about that and go into um, some some faith-based stuff and then um, uh, therapy modalities that you use as well um, to help others along their healing journeys. Great. I'm excited to, to chat about that. Yeah. So, so talk to us. Let's, let's dive into the book first and talk a little bit about it. I'm, I'm writing a book myself and I'm so excited when people get their books out into the world because I know what the journey is like. Yes. It was a, a long labor of love for me, but it is finally out. Altogether, you experiencing personal and spiritual transformation with internal family systems therapy, which is a mouthful. So, <laughs> I'll just call it IFS for short, because that's how we abbreviate it. Yeah, and it's been a wonderful journey. Um, I, as a clinical director here in a private practice in Atlanta, um, am trained in a lot of different healing modalities. And when I encountered IFS, um, it rocked my world in a way that nothing else had before. And what I found is it is one of the most effective um, change healing uh, interventions that we have in our toolbox as therapists. And it also integrates so beautifully with a spiritual journey. Uh, IFS is a secular model, but in my book, I've integrated it with spirituality um, to help us not only experience emotional freedom and healing from our struggles, but also spiritual freedom and healing. Yeah, beautiful. And I told you, I'm really excited to learn more about IFS because I personally utilized EMDR 
for four years, 98 sessions along my healing journey. And I know what an impact it had on me, but I just keep hearing IFS just keeps coming up a lot. Yes, for sure. And I am an EMDR therapist and I use these two modalities together and just the uh, opportunity that we have to experience profound healing um, with the tools available to us. It's exciting to me because we are never stuck and uh, there's always opportunity for growth and forward movement in our lives, really no matter where we've been, no matter what has happened to us, no matter what we've done, uh, there's always hope and always a next step of growth. It's exciting. It is exciting. And I, I tell people that often that I, for so long, I thought I was quote unquote broken, yes. stuck with panic attacks forever. And, and then as this, I started to realize, well, one, when I was introduced to EMDR. Um, so yes, yeah, so talk to us, explain IFS to us in, in the process, if you would. Absolutely. So there are a couple of foundational principles in understanding IFS. The way that it was developed, it's a relatively new mode of therapy. It's been developed in the last 30 or 40 years by Dr. Richard Schwartz. And um, if you saw the movie Inside Out, that movie was a, a, a collaboration between Pixar and IFS to help bring these principles to a young audience and help us understand that we are not just a singular monolithic entity as a human being, because if that's what we believe about ourselves, then if we struggle with something like panic attacks or depression or addiction, then that's, that becomes our identity. I am a person who has panic attacks. I am an addict. I am depressed. But what Dr. Richard Schwartz discovered in working with clients who had eating disorders is that we naturally speak differently about our own experience. And as he became curious about that, he began to discover that in fact, we all, rather than being a single entity, we all are comprised of many different parts. And we intuitively get that because we speak that way. Um, a, an example I use in the book, because hypothetically it might be true in my own life, I have a part of me that loves to eat Oreo cookies. And when a bag of Oreos is in my house, that part takes me over and would like to eat the entire bag in one sitting. And I have another part of me that's very fitness oriented and it wants me to eat kale and go to the gym. And those two parts are at war inside of me. And um, what Dick discovered is that almost all of human suffering and struggles can be traced back to our different parts that are at war. And so what he discovered on the one hand is simple, on the other hand, it's very complex. He discovered that at our core, and if I may, I like to use props to illustrate. Sure, yeah. It makes more sense if we can kind of see it. So I choose this little red squishy heart that I have to represent what Dick calls our core self. In the book, I call this the God image within us or the Imago Dei. All different faith traditions have a different word for basically who we really are, our core self. Um, in Hindu, this is called Atman. In Buddhism, it's Buddha. We also hear it referred to as prana or chi or life force. How, whatever we want to call it, we can call it Bob if we want to, but <laughs> it just means that it is the core essence of who we are. And there is a divine essence to it that this is there 
all of the time inside every human being and it is fundamentally positive it is fundamentally a healing power and it is the reflection of the divine within us now right there i just said three or four things that are radically <laughs> counterintuitive in both clinical and theological circles so as we unpack that uh, we can talk more about that but the bottom line is who you are, who I am, who anyone is, is fundamentally good. Yes. Even if what some parts of us may be doing, like having panic attacks or being depressed or acting out in addiction, is bad. And so Dick Schwartz argues that when we have access to this, we naturally experience the eight C qualities. In spiritual terms, we would call this the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The eight C's are things like calmness, clear-mindedness, courage, um, connectedness, which I think in our political and global social environment is so critical. When we're in our core self, we understand that we are one with our brother and sister, um, whatever they look like, whatever their sexual orientation, their faith persuasion, um, we share a human experience. And there is no sense of me against you or us against them. This is a deeply connected, deeply loving, deeply grace-filled essence. But if you're like me, you don't just walk around all day with the fruit of the spirit or the eight seas bubbling out from within. And the reason is because we have two other types of parts that take us over. One type of part is called our exiles. So I have a little, a little skeleton dinosaur guy here to represent our exiles. These are the parts of us that basically carry the pain in our lives. So for example, um, I was bullied in middle school and high school quite a bit. And I had really bad uh, buck teeth with headgear. And oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> yes. And I had this great, I grew up in the 1970s, so I had this great Farrah Fawcett flip yeah, going. Yeah, the, the feathered hair. Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, acne, and, um, and I was socially awkward, and, and in a private preparatory school, it was, it was a hot mess. And so I have exiles that are frozen in time um, at that kind of 13-year-old age that are filled with shame, um, self-loathing, uh, feeling not good enough or broken. And these do not heal with time. That is a misconception. They also don't heal with talk therapy because they live in a deeper part of the brain. They live in our limbic brain. And our exiles jump up and take us over when they get triggered. So I'm a 50-year-old woman, but if I walk into an environment that reminds me of that high school experience where there was an in-group and then me, I can get flooded with shame feel very young, very inferior, and start having self-loathing thoughts go through my head as a 50-year-old woman. It's because I have an exile that carries that shame, okay? Yeah. And so that's one part of us that takes us over and explains why we lose access to our core self. But we don't do well with things like shame and panic and fear and self-loathing um, and a sense of being broken. We don't have the ability to stay with that emotion for very long. So we have another type of part that IFS calls our protectors. And the job of the protectors is to do just that, to protect us from the pain of our exiles. 
Makes sense, right? Yeah. And there's basically two types of protectors. We have proactive ones. IFS calls those guys the managers and reactive ones. IFS calls those guys the firefighters. And the another radical concept in IFS is that all parts of us are good. All of our exiles, all of our managers, all of our firefighters, because they are burdened trying to help us with our pain. And I'll explain that. So let's say that I learned as a 13-year-old kid that um, uh, I would be rejected and bullied. So I developed some proactive managers to try to prevent that from happening. So I developed a people pleaser. I have my little sunshine to represent people pleasing. And so I would try to make you like me by pleasing you at my own expense so that I would never have to feel the shame of rejection, right? Yes. Also developed a, a very rational part. It would keep me in my head and out of my heart so that I couldn't feel the pain. So I learned how to know lots and lots of stuff, right? And if I got really smart and learned lots of stuff, maybe I wouldn't have to feel this sense of brokenness, right? Um, I also developed later in life when I became a, a Christian, um, I developed a spiritualizing part. Now, this is very interesting. Remember we talked about how our core is the essence of our deepest spirituality. This is our authentic spiritual self. Our spiritualizer uses the same language. It speaks God language, it quotes scripture, it VBSs, it goes on mission trips, it does all kinds of things. But remember, this is not our authentic spirituality. It's a burdened protector using God language, trying to prevent us from feeling the pain or the shame of rejection or being not good enough. So the whole point of the spiritualizer part is to avoid yucky feelings and do it right to please God. So this is super important. The spiritualizing part, just like all of our parts, is a good part. It's trying to help with pain, but it's stuck in a bad role. All right, because spiritualizing actually takes me further away from the God image within me, not closer to it. So my spiritual part has no patience for yucky feelings because its whole job is to keep me away from them. So if I should say, oh my gosh, I feel ashamed or I feel scared, this part, because its job is to not let me feel those feelings, is going to use scripture to shame me for that. And it's going to say, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. And so if you were just closer to the perfect love of God, which must be over there somewhere on the other pile of your sin, so go get over there closer to God, then you wouldn't feel that fear. And you're doing it wrong. And you need to do your spiritualizing better. So now I feel more shame. Now the pain of my exile is worse. Right. Um, but it's happened in the name of God. And here's a beautiful principle that we learn from IFS. All of our parts are well-intentioned. They're all trying to help. They all make it worse in the long run. So if I'm trying to avoid shame by people-pleasing, that's going to work for a little while. You're going to like me, maybe. But over time, 
you're not going to spend any time reciprocating with me and I'm going to start to feel exhausted and resentful and overwhelmed and I'm going to get mad and I'm going to feel all alone anyway because you don't really see me in relationship. You're just taking advantage of me and uh oh, now my shame and rejection and brokenness feels worse, not better. Right. So important principle, our parts are all good. They're well-intentioned. They're trying hard to help, but they've gotten stuck in a bad role. It's not who they truly are. If we can help do the trauma work and unburden them, this wonderful part of me can be freed up, or this wonderful part of me, or this wonderful part of me can be freed up to be what it was truly designed to be. It's a good part. So that's a little bit about, oh, our inner critic too. I use this little eraser to describe my inner critic. My critic, such a wonderful, powerful part. It's a great big bully in my system, but it's a good part. It shows up and yells at me, tells me how stupid or fat or, you know, unworthy I am. And um, this wonderful part is trying to help me do it right so I don't mess up and get rejected out there in the world. So the way that it's gotten burdened with doing that is just yelling at me all the time to make sure I don't screw up. Um, but it's really trying hard to help. And so that's my little internal critic. Um, oh, I have my little denial part too. Den <laughs> horrific manager. It's another way of not feeling my pain. Just well, everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. How are you? It's so good. We're doing great. Everything is really good. Right. Okay. That's our denial. But invariably, I may people please and people please and it works for a while and then it stops working and now I'm flooded with my sense of shame and brokenness and rejection again. So now I need my second type of protector part, which is the firefighters. And they're reactive. Their job is to jump in and put this pain out when it gets activated. And so those are things like rage and blame shifting. I love this little guy. These are <laughs> little dudes. Um, so uh, this would be, you know, domestic violence or, or, or blaming. This could be um, pornography use or sexual acting out, right? I got a little stick figure here. Um, this could be, I don't have any alcohol, but I have a water bottle. So this could be drinking, okay? Um, this could be, let's see, let's call this guy my eating guy. Okay, this could be my Oreo eating part uh, or suicidal ideation, right. homicidal ideation, right? Notice, even my suicidal part or my homicidal part, I don't have this part, but if I did, is a good part, right? I'm not saying it's doing good things, but it's well-intentioned. It's trying to stop the pain and it doesn't see any other way to do it. It's going to take me out or take you out because you're causing me pain, right? It's just stuck in a bad role, okay? And these guys, the reactive firefighters, are very unwelcome in most places. I work a lot with these firefighters in my private practice because I work a lot with addiction. So I see tons of alcoholism, work addiction, sex addiction, all this. And what I know is these are all good parts. They're just stuck in bad roles, trying to make the pain of early trauma, usually, feel better. Right. And so the, um, the yet another radical concept in IFS is what I call the concept of move toward. 
Because what happens in our culture, in our faith communities, in our families, many times, is that if we feel shame or fear or guilt or any of the feelings of our exiles, we tend to move against them. We want to lock them in the basement, not feel them. Um, Or if we're doing something, uh, let's say I'm eating Oreos. Um, and, And then we don't like that Oreo eater. My critic jumps up and yells at my Oreo eater. This is a pretty common battle. Yeah. We tend to move against and say, okay, that's it. I am only eating kale for the next year and a half, and I'm going to work out three hours a day. So we try to move against the cookie eater. The radical concept of IFS, that this is a good part of me, stuck in a bad role, allows me to separate from it a little bit and get curious about it. So I might say, hey, cookie eating part, literally getting curious. I wonder where you learned how to try to help me in this way. And I might remember that I might have a memory pop up from middle school when I was so in so much emotional pain and there was just no way to cope. And I discovered that sugar made me feel better. And that's when this part of me became burdened with eating sugar. And it's been stuck in that role ever since, trying hard to help me feel better in an unhelpful way, right? And so now I have compassion for this part and curiosity. And this is the beginning of how we radically change the way we relate to ourselves and all of our own parts, as well as to the parts of others. And it's really beautiful. It is a radically different approach to the way that we walk through life normally. And it is enormously filled with grace and healing self-compassion and compassion for others, no matter what wonky things our parts are doing or the parts of other people are doing. Yeah, that's just fabulous. And I loved every bit of it, including, yeah, the the visual representations because it just helps relate. And I remember my therapist who, again, specialized in EMDR, but when she, she, one of the things she suggested was to just take a step back and be curious and ask the questions and um, about why is this coming up and, and to realize that my panic attacks or whatever was happening in my body, physically, emotionally, was trying to tell me something, trying to teach me a lesson. When I started taking those steps back and saying, what lesson am I, am I do I need to learn here? Um, wow. Yeah. That really shifted everything. Absolutely. That's beautiful because a panic attack, um, or anxiety or fear is an exile that's flooding. Yeah. And anytime that happens, it's like, if you're a mama, I have, my kids are taller than me now and off on their own. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But if you remember, or if you, if you're not a mama or a dad, if you've, if you've got little ones in your environment, um, when a little one falls down and skins their knee, what do they do? They come, they burst into tears. Okay. So they get flooded with their pain and they come running to the closest adult that feels safe and they throw their arms up. And my daughter used to say, mommy, mommy, pick you up. I would always say, sweetheart, do you want me to pick you up? And so she thought that was pick you up. Mommy, (laughs) Mommy, pick you up. And so what is happening is these often very young parts of us 
anytime I've got, I'm dealing with anxiety or panic attacks or fear, it's because at some point I was not safe. Yeah. I didn't just decide to have panic or fear one day. It's because the limbic system of my brain is hardwired to cause me to feel fear or panic or anxiety when I'm not safe physically, emotionally, sexually, in whatever way. And if it gets stuck in a trauma response, then every time it floods forward, it's like a little part of me going, pick you up, pick you up. I need help. And they're asking for healing. So when we get flooded with fear or panic or shame or loneliness, we don't want to push that part away because we wouldn't push a child away. We wouldn't move against a hurt child and say, oh, quit your crying. I don't want to hear it which is what we do when we pour alcohol on it or put a box of cookies in its mouth. We wouldn't do that to a child, but we do it to our own child exiles. Um, but instead we can gently move toward that part and be curious. Hey, little one, <laughs> when you take me over all the way, I can't help you because I lose access to my core self. I don't feel calm, curious, connect, none of that. All I feel is panic. So what these parts learn is that when they can pull it back a little bit, maybe to 50%, now we can be with them and actually heal the trauma that they're stuck in through EMDR or IFS or any of these modalities. And when that trauma is healed, this part of me turns into the, the uh, it, it's unburdened, so the burden comes off of it and it transforms back into what it was designed to be, which is probably something like playful, spontaneous, curious. These are wonderful young parts of us that are holding our childlike qualities often. And they've gotten frozen in time at the, at the moment when they were not safe. Yeah. Letting forward to let us know they're hurt and they want help. And we want to move toward that, not away. Yeah. Which can be terrifying, but oh, so liberating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I just have to say, I love in and out I love that movie so much. And I remember when I was watching it, I took my daughter to the theater to see it and we're sitting there and I was like, oh, I'm joy. You know, I related to joy and it's because the people pleaser in me and I just loved it. And then as the movie progressed, by the end, I was sobbing like a baby because I was, I so realized, oh my gosh, like joy is getting it. Joy is finally understanding um the the relational part especially her relationship with sadness and how that how that evolved and i just thought it was so beautiful yes absolutely and oftentimes we get stuck in this mindset in our culture that we just want to feel the good feelings we just want to be happy we just we just want to feel joy i have plenty of clients who come in and say just make me make me feel better i don't want to feel these yucky awful feelings and the truth is that all of our feelings are good they all have a message for us. They're all there for a good reason. And we want to embrace them. They all have a role and they relate together. And if I don't have the capacity to connect to some of my more difficult feelings, I don't have the capacity to connect to my authentic joy. Yeah, for sure. Wow, beautiful. So one of the questions I ask podcast guests a lot, or, and I think you, you've certainly helped us understand, especially in the faith-based part of it, is any myths or facts that you want to clarify for, for listeners? Mm. Oh, gosh, so many. Um, 
<laughs> so many. So many. <laughs> um, I think one that is really very much on my heart um, is, is this one. Um, IFS, the reason, one of the many reasons I wrote this book is because of this contrast between a spiritualizing part that walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, but is not a duck, and our core authentic spiritual self, because um, just like we talked about, this is a good part, but it accomplishes the reverse of what it is intending. So my spiritualizing part is trying to protect me from pain. It's trying to get me closer to God or make me pleasing to God or pleasing to my faith community. And, um, and it, it's accomplishing the reverse. It's making me feel more shame. It's making me feel worse. It's categorizing myself or people in terms of good or bad, right or wrong, in or out. And it's keeping tabs on my behavior, on my thought life, on everything. And it's very rigid. It's very black and white because it's burdened. Um, it's, it's a move against energy. Uh, even when it's using all that good spiritual language, the, the, it has a move against energy. And by contrast, this part of us, which is our authentic connection to the divine, it is the overflow of the essence of the divine. So it is by its very nature, the essence of love, of grace, of healing. This has no agenda to move against you, anyone else, or any of my own parts. It has the power to heal my parts, but out of a deep compassion, not out of a shame. And so when we read in the, in the biblical text, if you look at traditional Christianity, and what you hear is, we're created in the image of God, and God is love. Okay, so there we go. Here's my image of God, and it's supposed to be about love. And if you look in the pages of the New Testament, Jesus himself says, hey, guys, let me just give you the cliff note version of this whole honking study Bible that you drag around with you. Like I can give it to you in one word. Here it is. Greatest commandment. You ready? You ready? You listening? Wait for it. Love. And furthermore, he says, here's the deal. After I leave, everybody's going to know you're my peeps because of this one word. Love. But in contemporary America, if you ask the average American what one word they associate with Christian, they will say hate. How do you explain that? And how do you explain the difference for those of us who have this confusion of parts and are authentically attempting to journey on an authentic spiritual journey and hear the language of grace there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, but <laughs> you better get up and have your quiet time and serve in the Sunday school and go on mission trips and say the right things. And you better not have any of those awful firefighters over there because good people don't have firefighters. Okay. That's a myth. <laughs> good people have lots of firefighters. We all have firefighters, right? Um, and so what this spiritualizing part communicates is hatred it communicates judgment, it communicates rigidity, and our authentic connection to the divine communicates love, grace, healing, connection, compassion, curiosity. And those couldn't be two different things, but we get very confused because they use the same words. 
And so IFS was the first time I had language to begin to understand the distinction between these two. And the minute we understand that, we can have deep compassion for our spiritualizing part because it's trying really hard to help us out. It's just stuck in a bad role because of trauma, because of a negative experience that it's trying to protect us from. And it's actually moving us farther away from our authentic spiritual self when it takes us over. And so we, just like with any other part, we can become compassionate towards it. Hey, where did you learn how to try to help me like this? Oh, well, this is the only thing I've ever seen modeled. So I thought this was how I was supposed to do it. Oh, and what are you afraid would happen if you didn't take me over and make me do it right? Oh, well, then I'd be afraid you'd be bad. Yeah. And people would see that you have all these firefighters and, and then God would be really disappointed with you because your testimony would be marred and you wouldn't be doing it right. And I really can't have that happen because like the stakes are high. You have to be good enough for God or else, you know, you're going to go to hell. You're going to be, God's going to be mad at you. He's going to zap you with a lightning bolt. And, and I really can't have that happen. Right. So this wonderful, amazing part figured out early on, if I can make you do the right things, then I can try to protect you. And now all of a sudden we have compassion for this very damaging this part, the behavior is engaged in, just like any other burdened protector, is very damaging. And it splits churches, it splits families, it splits communities, and it does all manner of evil in the name of God. But it means really well. It has no idea that it's not an authentic spiritual self. And this makes all the difference. Because when we suffer with flooding exiles, who rush forward and take us over and flood us with fear, shame, panic, worthlessness, and say, pick you up, pick you up. And then our rage jumps in and we drink at nine o'clock in the morning and eat Oreos and act out with corn, which is what's happening in, in uh, quarantine with COVID. We're all stuck. We all feel powerless. That's activating plenty of exiles. All of our firefighters are jumping in and our spiritualizer and our critic are going overtime trying to beat off the firefighters. And we get stuck with our parts at war. And it's painful and it makes our suffering worse rather than helping us access the true healing power that is within us. And IFS therapy helps us to heal our parts using the power of the divine or the core self within us. And I think that's really the message of true faith as well. It's a surrender to what is already there, the image of the divine in every human. And it is not a striving. Um, there is the aspect of salvation quote, which is when the Holy spirit enters and, kind of creates a power pack there if you view that through the lens of, of traditional Christianity. But the image of the divine is in all of us. And so at the end of every yoga practice that I do daily, I say, namaste. And what that means is the God image in me sees and honors the God image in you. Yeah. It's a we thing. We're on this journey together. And whatever your parts are doing, whatever my parts are doing, all parts of you, all parts of me are welcome here. And wouldn't you love to live in a world like that?
Yes. Amen and hallelujah. And I say that all the time. If only I try to connect light to light with people because my light to someone else's light. Um, Yeah. And just make this world a beautiful place to be. That's right. Yeah. Very, very cool. I have to have to share with you because as you spoke, I started to get a little teary eyed. My mom, who's 84, uh, is, will be celebrating one year sober next Mm -hmm. month in July. But her journey has just been a very tumultuous one. And our journey is mother-daughter as well with her alcoholism. But when she started on this a year ago, July 2019, um, I remember sitting with her and she's, she's the most Catholic person I know. I mean, always praying her books and talking to Jesus pictures on her walls and so forth. And so I would say to her, um, you know, mom, once I had gone through my healing journey, I, I know your trauma history has just been horrible, especially from your childhood. And, you know, you should, why don't we get you a therapist and you can talk to, oh, I don't need that. God, you know, I, there's no need. Just let the past go. Let it go. It's it's over. It's done. There's nothing I can do to change it. And so I would just slowly start to talk to her about the impact of trauma, about adverse childhood experiences and ACEs science and how it really does impact us on a physiological level, mental, spiritual, in every way. And so she ended up uh, seeing a therapist once a week and um, started along her own healing journey. And for the first time in her life, she was able to say, I don't need alcohol anymore to self-medicate and to numb this pain and to, and exactly what you were just talking about, this alcohol was coming in and trying to make it better and trying to make it go away. And I talked to her about that and saying, mom, this doesn't make you a bad person. You're not a bad person because you have this addiction. Um, You used this because you didn't know any other way at the time to help yourself get through it and the pain. And so I'm so proud of her. And it just, I'm starting to get choked up again talking about it because there's just so much love in my heart for and joy for her to see her so happy um, and not need alcohol to, to numb her pain anymore. That is so beautiful, Terry. And I'm so happy for you and for her. And what a courageous woman your mom is. And you are um, embarking on this healing journey um, at, a, at a later stage in life. What a, what a beautiful act of courage and really self-love. Um, and so I just celebrate and honor that with you. And what you just described is beautiful because we know that ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, create all kinds of exiles. And anytime I have a burdened exile part, I've got to have protectors and firefighters while this is unhealed. And so you described a couple that she had. Whoops, my cross just fell apart. <laughs> so there was one part of her, if I'm, if I'm tracking with you, that was like, you know what? Just don't even worry about it. we're going to pray. Uh, God has this covered and it's, it's fine. And I'm going to quote my scripture. And by the way, let's just let the past be the past. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm moving on. I've forgiven. It's all good. 70 times seven. And so those two parts are trying very hard to do the same thing the alcohol is, which is keep, keep her away from the pain. Yes. And of course, none of them are effective and they all hate each other. 
right? Because denial and spiritualizing tend to hate alcoholism and they are at war with each other. So it's kind of like the apostle Paul said in Romans, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And don't do the things that I do want to do. Oh my goodness, what a wretched man am I. Paul's basically saying, eh, I got parts at war. And what we know is that our parts, our protector parts have to, and this is an important realization for addiction. My alcoholism part or my eating Oreos part or my spiritualizing part or my denial part cannot stop doing what it's doing cannot until I address this because here's why if I have an alcohol part and I just go into 12 step and say I'm just gonna grip my teeth and start drinking alcohol okay what's gonna happen you, you see it in all of our recovery communities if I don't heal this Right. which is the result of trauma. What I'm going to do is I'm either going to keep relapsing and then feeling worse about myself, which makes this worse, or I'm going to pick up sugar and I'm going to gain 25 pounds my first year in AA, or I'm going to start drinking caffeine like a mad person and smoking, or I'm going to get really restless, irritable, and discontent, or you name it, because our parts cannot stop doing what they're doing until the pain of our exiles is healed because our parts aren't bad. They're trying to help with our pain. And when we understand that, then we can look at literally anything that anyone is doing, including ourselves with such deep compassion and say, wow, the, the stronger the alcoholic part or the people pleasing part or the denial part or the spiritualizer or the suicidal part or the Oreo eating part, the stronger that protector is, the more pain the exile is in. And so it totally changes the way that we perceive addiction, codependence, all the things in other people and ourselves. And we can have such deep compassion, which you just beautifully articulated for your mom. Hey, mom, congratulations. And this is here and it deserves some love and care. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful what you've described. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. And I, 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 I love what you just said about the compassion part because that is a message that I know I'm certainly trying to teach to my daughter and her friends. I had an incident. We were driving in the car and there was a man standing on a corner and he was, he was pacing and he, he just was nervous and he was smoking a cigarette like crazy. Like he was just, and he would step out in traffic and step back and he just, and one of the girls made a comment about him that, you know, wasn't just about his behavior. And I said, so we kept on driving and we had gotten through the intersection and I said, Hey, we don't know what's happened in that man's life. And is, is he had something horrible happen to him and he just doesn't, he doesn't know how to heal it. He doesn't know how to cope. Uh, he, he's very anxious. He's nervous. He's using cigarettes, you know, to calm himself. Um, so, and, and just using that as a teaching moment to say, we all, that, that saying that says we're all going through something, right? Everybody's going through something and just pause and say, why is that? Why are you know, what has their journey been? What's that, what is it that they're saying in ACEs now, instead of asking uh, what's wrong with that person or that child, 
what's happened to that person. Exactly. Exactly. And that is so powerful and so beautiful because moving against people when their parts are doing things we don't like, um, makes the divide makes our trauma worse and it creates more barrier to healing versus the ability to move toward, which is the quality of our core self is that that human is just like me and my people pleasing is doing the same thing as their alcoholism or smoking or anxiety. And um, it's just doing it in a different way. And that connection of human to human experience that we are all in a human experience and we all have exiles and we all have burdened parts that are trying to protect us. Some do it in more socially acceptable ways, others, but it's the same thing. And to dispel a myth, you asked about myth. There is one thing that's so important to emphasize. IFS is not saying anything goes, right? That's not a helpful, that that, that isn't helpful at all. It's not saying, oh, yay, wonderful alcoholic part. Let's have more alcohol. What it's saying is that the move against strategy, so my critic going, I can't believe you drank again last night. You said you weren't going to do that and you didn't even make it to five o'clock. Okay, that inner war that goes on within most alcoholics, that doesn't help anything. We're actually making the shame of the exile worse, which makes the need for the alcoholic part go up. So it isn't that we're saying the behaviors are okay or that we don't that we don't need to have boundaries. Of course we do. And of course these behaviors are not okay. They're not. What it's saying is the most effective way to bring about change is a move toward not a move against. And isn't that true? If you're in an environment and you feel like somebody is pushing against you and be like, you need to rethink your attitude or whatever, what do we do? We tend to bow up and be like, oh yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> um, we get, we, we bow up to match, to match that level of force. But when somebody goes, oh my gosh, I totally have a different opinion, but I really want to hear like, what is it like to be you? Will you tell me about how it is that you came to believe that and understand that. I really want to understand you go, Oh, well, yeah. And you relax back and now you're more amenable to change and transform. And so IFS is not saying anything goes or that the behaviors are good. What it's saying is that move toward with love and compassion is always the healing approach versus move against, which is basically what we do in every other sphere of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I love just the, the whole idea of looking at it with curiosity and, and it's almost like a, just a pause to say, Hmm, what is happening with this? <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Well, this has been amazing. And I, again, we, we could talk for hours because um, yeah, it's fascinating to me. I love learning all of this. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a treat to get to talk with you today, Terry. Yeah, you too. So how do people get a hold of you and how do they get a hold of your book? Sure. Well, my last name is so hard to spell. If we could put it in the show notes, that might help. I will do that, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my website is jennaremersma.com. And there's lots of good support and resources there. I have free videos. 
um, free downloadable worksheets where people can um, print them off and start to work with their own parts. I have a link where you can buy the book. I have lots of resources there. The book is available on Amazon. I'm super blown away and excited to say that um, it went uh, soaring up to the number one bestseller on Amazon in hot new releases in spirituality and self-help, which has blown me away. That's um, awesome. So it is there on Amazon. Uh, you can purchase it there, leave a review. Uh, it's carried in some other places, but most folks can probably uh, find it on Amazon most easily. Wonderful. All right. Well, again, thank you for the work you're doing to shine the light of hope into the world. And um, yes, and congrats on the, on the book moving up to number one. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Great to talk with you. You too. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. Remember to go to the Facebook page um, if you want to check out any of the pandemic self-care series that's on there, 36 interviews uh, with past podcast guests talking about some self-care strategies, which has been amazing. I think uh, there's been over 100,000 views, which is really, really cool. And I love that idea of so many guests reaching so many people. So, all right. Until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, visit Terry's website at www.terrywellbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And as Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself.